Well, good morning, Seacoast. It's great to see you guys. I'm so glad you're in church this weekend. I uh, want to welcome all of you who are joining us online as well. We wish you were in church, but we're glad that you're watching online too. Uh, some of you are all over the country. Some of y'all are just being lazy because it's Super Bowl Sunday, but we honor you anyways. And I uh, want to welcome all of our campuses as well. Uh, shout out to our Somerville campus. Lisa and I had a chance to go to Somerville campus on Friday night for their marriage conference, uh, Friday and Saturday. They had uh, 300 couples, and it was just amazing, uh, so good. So if you see people in Somerville with a little bit more PDA going on, that's public display of affection. It's not just that it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, pro tip men, Valentine's Day tomorrow. It's that they're uh, all fired up from, from that, and um, just honored to be with you. I love our church. Um, I love the way that we do it, too. I was talking with, I had a chance to meet a pastor that I've admired for a long, long time, Andy Stanley, uh, a week or so ago, and we were talking about Seacoast, and he was asking about how does that work, you know, where uh, you're leading the church, but you're not preaching all the time? Is that working? Like, do, do, people, do people like that? I'm like, I don't know if they like it, but I do. Uh, I love listening to people like Joel Delph and Adam Martin and Josh Walters and Lynn Stroy, and by the way, yeah, isn't it great? I love our church. I just love that. It's not around a person, but it's, it's God's word uh, filtered through different, different personalities. By the way, next week, uh, the OG, uh, Pastor Greg, he's still around, by the way. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, um, but he's going to be preaching uh, on blessed are those who are persecuted, uh, and it's going to be a great word, but excited to be with you this weekend, and uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I know we're a long way from either of the cities. Anybody pulling for the Rams uh, in the house? There's a couple of you guys. Okay. Okay. That's all right. How about the Bengals? Any Bengals fans? See, that's the thing. I knew that would be the case because we live in Southern Ohio uh, is really another way of saying Charleston. So many people have moved from Ohio. Uh, I want to share with you who I'm pulling for, but I'm going to, I'm going to share it with you in just a minute. First, I want to, I want to share the verse for the day. And uh, we're in a series, as many of you know, called How to Be Happy. And of course, we're not talking about uh, happiness in the way that our culture may define that. But what, what does it really look like to be truly blessed in our lives? And Jesus uh, has this conversation, uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where he, he gives us the Beatitudes. And, and we're in week seven out of eight, and it's been amazing so far. This week, I want us to read the verse together out loud. And so here and at the campuses, I'm going to go ahead and give a pre-warning when we read out loud, we actually move our lips and say things. The 830 service really struggled with that, but the, this one's going to get it right. But let's read it. Matthew 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers. So this week, Super Bowl Sunday, I'm cheering for, actually, I, I, I came with the jersey on. Cheer him for the referees. You know, they just don't get a lot of love. Uh, they, they, a lot of times, the only time we ever hear about the referees, right, is when they did something wrong. Uh, that's when they make the news. That's when the articles are about them. But, but in a lot of ways, the referees actually uh, line up with this week's sermon really well. A lot of ways, they're the ones that are called to keep order on the field, to keep peace between two teams. And and I was thinking about this principle and praying about this principle, and I was reminded of a moment that happened uh, at my son's soccer game about a year and a half ago. My son plays uh, club soccer, and he's, he's a great athlete. They were playing in a tournament 
uh, here in town. And it's very normal and natural, right, when you're, you have teams playing against each other for there to be conflict between the two teams. A little bit of trash talk, maybe some phys- physicality. All of that was happening. And the referee's job is to keep the peace, to, to, to make sure boundaries are kept, rules are followed, all of that stuff. And what happened is this game was very physical. Uh, and, and it was a close game. My, my son's team was up by one goal. There was about 10 minutes left in the game. And the referee called a foul on the other team. And when he called that foul, already emotions were kind of high. And this player got really upset. The other players got upset. They didn't think it was the right call. I did, uh, but I'm biased. And so the referee ultimately has to, has to call out this player. And he pulls out a red card. And he kicks him out of the game. Well, the kid doesn't leave. And he's screaming in the referee's face. And we're talking about like 12, 13-year-olds. And so the referee grabs the kid and like shoves him towards the sideline. Uh, Probably not the right move there, but his emotions kind of got involved. And as he did that, the kid's dad didn't, didn't really appreciate that the referee put his hands on the kid. And so the kid's dad runs out onto the field. And all of a sudden, like this game is completely out of control. And the, the father and the referee are face-to-face, just screaming at each other. Oh, other parents run out there. Now there's people throwing punches and trying to get at each other. And, and one guy opens up his coat and brandishes a weapon, a pistol that he was holding. And as he's yelling at this referee, it was crazy. So all, they just canceled the game. Uh, they canceled the rest of the game, and we go home. And I've never experienced anything like it. I'm driving home with my son, and it's kind of he's shell-shocked. We both are. And he's like, dad, what, like, what was that? What just happened? And let me give you my, my analysis of what happened. I know that that referee didn't show up to that game that day, expecting that he was going to get involved in that sort of altercation. Surely he didn't. I know the father probably didn't show up to that game thinking that, that things would escalate, but their emotions got involved and, and they allowed things to escalate. And here's the, the reality. The referee and dads in youth sports, moms and dads, we are, we are there to be peacemakers. We aren't there to get involved in the fight. And when peacemakers become peacebreakers, it gets very confusing and the game is over. And, and what happened in that game is those who were called to make peace actually ended up breaking peace and it was chaos. And, and here, here's my, my thought. And, and again, I, I'm pointing fingers at me as much as anybody, but I wonder if there are some of us in our crazy divided culture today that forgot what we were called to do, that maybe didn't realize that Jesus actually called us to be peacemakers. And when peacemakers become peacebreakers, things get really confusing and really crazy. And I think we've seen signs of that in our culture. So, so we're going to talk today about what does that mean? Blessed are the peacemakers. I want to give you another version of the verse, uh, the New Living Translation. It says, God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who work for peace. I think some of us have the wrong idea of what a peacemaker is. (laughs) We think the peacemaker is that person who, I know there's some of you here here today, you are a type A personality. You're you're a D on the disc profile. Maybe you're an Enneagram 8, and you're like, I don't think he's going to be talking to me today because I'm not a peacemaker. I'm I'm ready to go. I think what we're going to realize is we may have had it all wrong on what it means to actually be a peacemaker. Peacemakers, we have to work for peace. It doesn't say God bless those who hope for peace, wish for peace, kind of desire peace. It says God blesses those who work for peace, who are willing to to get involved. 
to, to, to step into tricky situations and fight for peace. Are there any situations in your life right now where you're not experiencing peace? Are there? Some of us, it may be in our own spirit. You know, we, 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 we're, we're riddled with, you know, fear or anxiety, stress, and we're just not experiencing internal peace and we want to, but we're just not sure how. Some of us, it's in relationships. You know, you may be living in a home and there's not peace in the home right now between you and your spouse or loved one, or you're, you're, you're experiencing tension with coworkers. And then there are some of us that we, we're third parties to, to people who are experiencing tension and we're trying to navigate, how do I help? How do I be involved in that? How do I, you know, and I think God's going to speak to all of us during today's message. So let's take a few minutes and talk about it. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? First, I want to talk to you about what peacemaking is not. Peacemaking is not the absence of conflict. See, a lot of us, we want to experience peace. And in our mind, what peace means is that we're not going to have conflict in our life. We're not going to be dealing with trouble or fights or wars. And the reality is, on the other side of that, a lot of us have known what it is to not be in conflict, but still not have peace. We've known what it is to, to get to that retirement. We thought, man, once I'm done with work, I'll be, and, and to still not experience peace. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the presence of a living God in the midst of our conflict. It's the presence of Jesus in the midst of trouble. So the goal here is not no conflict. The goal here is not that we would just be, be living in a life void of war. Peace is also not passive. Peacemaking is not passive, it's active. The kind of peace that Jesus is talking about here, it's not a, a byproduct of inaction. It's, it's not peace by happenstance or, or hopefulness. It's, it's an action word. You don't hope for peace, you make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Notice he didn't say the peace lovers, the peacekeepers. You know, it's people who actually are proactive in making peace. And as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of a trip to Israel that we had a couple years ago. And I, I talk about Israel a lot because it's so transformed my relationship with, with the Bible and with the land. And we, we were with a trip and we were up in the Golan Heights right at the border of Syria. And we were actually looking out over this uh, mountainside and you could see the Syrian border and at the time, you had ISIS that was very active. You had uh, the, the rebels, the Syrian rebels who were fighting against their government. And then you had the Assad regime. And they were all fighting. And you could see evidence of the fights out in the, the distance. And we're standing up there. And our guide is sharing with us some of the significance and history of the land that we were standing on. And all of a sudden, about two, 300 yards out in the air, we see this big plume of smoke like a, an explosion in the middle of the air. And it was like, oh my gosh, what was that? And uh, did you see that? Did you see? And everybody's like, yeah, I saw that. I don't know what that is. And we, we weren't sure what happened. We, we continued on. We got back in the, the bus. And later we found out a couple hours later that what had happened is the, the peacemakers, peacekeepers, UN peacekeepers were up there. What happened is they had shot down a drone. <laughs> Right a few hundred yards out in front of us, there was a Syrian drone that flew into the, the airspace that was a, a, a no-drone airspace, a no-fly zone, and they shot it down. They were proactive. They were not passive. They didn't sit and go, I wonder what's going to happen if that drone does what they're intended for it to do. 
If they had not stepped in and been active, who knows if that wouldn't have escalated the situation to become a real conflict that we would all have heard about on the news. But peacemakers, when they see conflict and, and they see opportunity, they step into it. They don't sit back and wait. It's not passive. It's active. Peacemaking is not appeasement, by the way. It's another thought for us. It's, it's, it doesn't mean that you're always giving in. It doesn't mean that you don't stand for your values. It doesn't mean that, 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 that you don't call a spade a spade at times. You know, the peacemaking is not just this appeasement. In fact, I think it's intentional that Jesus put this, this beatitude right after the last one, which is blessed are the pure in heart. When you live with a pure heart, it will be offensive at times to people around you that don't. It maybe creates conflict in people. And so it's not backing down from that. Jesus was constantly stirring things up, mostly with church people, because the way that he was living was offensive to them. And so it's not appeasement. You know, there are times that as a referee, you know, you have to be proactive. And, and what do they do, right? Sometimes they see something happening and they've got to, they got to throw the flag. You know, that, that was out of bounds. That's the role of a peacemaker is not to appease, not to ignore. And it's also not avoidance. Peacemaking is not avoidance. I used to think I was really good at peacemaking. Uh, my personality type, my style is much more um, uh, agreeable. And, and even um, some would call me a peacemaker when it comes to like Enneagram stuff. And, and I just thought, man, I'm really good at being a peacemaker. But you know what I've learned over the years? The more that I've had to step up into leadership and lead teams is that what I was actually good at was avoiding conflict. And some of us, we think we're good peacemakers, but we're actually just cowards. I'm talking to myself. We're just afraid to step up and say something when we need to. And, and peacemaking is not avoiding conflict. Jesus said that you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. When we withhold truth from people, we're not being peacemakers. We're actually being troublemakers. We're either allowing trouble to fester and grow in somebody else's life. And what we have a perspective that could be helpful, but we're, we're allowing that to grow. And as, as you know, with conflict, if we don't step into conflict and deal with it, it tends to grow. Maybe five, 10% of the time it goes away because it wasn't that big of a deal, but most of the time it turns into a bigger problem. And we're just pushing the problem further down the road. And so peacemaking, it's, it's not avoiding conflict. It's not appeasing. It's not passive. So some of you stronger personalities, are you with me? Like, we're going we're gonna to talk to you too. Like, I think some of the best peacemakers are actually the people that some might say aren't, but they're actually willing to have the courage to step into conflict. And we're going to learn how to do that together. You know, um, we talked about what peacemaking isn't. Let me give you a, a biblical definition of a peacemaker. Uh, the word is actually only used twice in scripture, peacemaker, in the way that we see it in this New Testament. We know peace is used all the time, shalom. It's the, the experienced presence of peace. But here's what a peacemaker is. It's one who is actively trying to reconcile people to God and to one another. That's the goal. Well, when we put on the jersey, right? When a referee puts their jersey on, they know their role. They know their position in that game. When God calls us to be peacemakers, to wear the jersey, he's saying, I want you to actively, remember, it's not passive, it's actively, I want you to pursue reconciling people, bringing peace between God and people, and bringing peace between other people. 
us and other people, other people and other groups of people. That is part of our role as a Christ follower, actively trying to reconcile people to God and to one another. Now, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Let me talk for just a minute about what happens when there's no peacemakers. When the church steps back from their role as peacemakers, instead of stepping into it, it creates conflict. And, and with conflict, unresolved conflict is going to cause you all kinds of problems. Number one, it's going to hinder your relationship with God. It, it does. It hinders your relationship with God. But when we allow conflict to go unresolved, it's going to hurt us, especially when we're the one who is offended or angry at somebody else. And we choose to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness. In fact, the next chapter in the Bible, Matthew chapter six, and by the way, we finish this series next week and we just decided, man, we're going to stick with the Sermon on the Mount up through Easter. Uh, we're just going to really explore. Jesus talks about some very, uh, some topics that are very relevant to our lives today. So we're just going to stay with this and we're going to flow into it. But just one chapter later, Jesus says, but if you don't forgive others their sins, your father's not going to forgive you yours. Say, man, our, our relationships and unresolved conflict, it, it hinders our relationship with God. It also hinders our prayers. It hinders our prayers. I almost didn't use this next verse because, you know, when you read a verse, you are now accountable for it. You know it. And when you preach a verse, your wife holds you accountable even more so to it. And so I almost, I almost pulled this one, but I'm going to give it to you. It's 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. It says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And look at what he says here. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. When we have unresolved conflict in our marriages, it actually hinders our, our prayers and our ability to hear from God and to, to even know what to ask for from God. And, and it sounds crazy, but it's true. Jesus even talked about this. Jesus was talking about response time, uh, you, you know, their version of it. He said, hey, in Matthew chapter five, just a few verses after this, he said, if you're in response time, you're at church and you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. This is crazy. He, he says, I want you to leave your sacrifice right there. In other words, resolving this conflict in your relationship is more important than your worship right now or your sacrifice or your offering or man, I want you to leave it right there. I want you to go and be reconciled to that person and then come back because it's going to hinder the way that you see me and experience me. And there's some of us as we go into response time today, we're going to realize, man, there's something that a relationship that's been hindering. It's been festering. It's been growing. It'll hinder our, our ability to, to see and experience God, right? The, the last thought is that it actually hurts you more than anyone else. If my appeal to your relationship with God, to your prayers isn't enough, just know selfishly it's hurting you. When, when we don't resolve conflict, when we don't deal with unforgiveness and we allow resentment to, to fester, it will ultimately hurt you more than anybody else. And you already know this. You, you've, you've dealt with stuff and you've been in a relationship with somebody else. You've been in a conversation with somebody. And the only thing you're thinking about is that person you're mad about or that situation that you're upset about. It just, it festers and it, it lives in our brain and, and it hurts us. And often we think that forgiveness and, 
resolution and peace means cutting people loose. But in reality, you're not cutting anybody loose but you. You're actually freeing you from the weight of unforgiveness and conflict that's been a poison to your soul. That's why Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do whatever it takes. Don't, don't just wait and hope for it. But man, be a peacemaker. Step into the, the trouble. Step into the conflict and bring the presence of Jesus with you to bring about peace. So what does it look like? How do I become a peacemaker? I want to spend the, the little bit of time that we have left, just three simple thoughts. But they're, they're so important if we're going to actually live out this beatitude that Jesus called us to. Number one, we have to know peace ourselves before we try to bring it to anybody else. We have to know peace. We have to have experienced peace. Peacemakers can't create peace among others if we don't first start with peace in our own hearts. You know, ultimately, the only way to peace is through a relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And there are so many of us that we, you know, we want to get involved or solve problems or whatever, but we just, we haven't experienced that peace for ourselves. And, and, and our inner person is just in turmoil. And, and I just have good news for you that you can know the Prince of Peace. You can know Jesus. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that today. To know without a, a shadow of doubt that the God of the universe, you, you can be at peace with him. And Jesus did that by knowing that, man, our sin separates us from God. Our sin creates a division because God is pure and we are not. But the Bible says while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us to take on the, the penalty of that sin, the consequences of that sin, so that we could experience peace with God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when we know peace, when we experience that peace, we live out what Paul talked about in Philippians 4 and verse 7, where he said, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know what's interesting about that? One translation, if you look at the, the original language, is that guard is like a referee. It's an umpire. That peace becomes the umpire in our hearts. That peace becomes the one that goes, no, that's not, that's not coming in here. That's not taking root here. That's not going to settle in deeply here. The peace of God, the word of God is what rules and referees our heart. When we experience that, then we can be the kind of people that bring that to other relationships and circumstances and situations. And so, so we got to experience peace, know that peace, but then we got to be a kind of people that would bring that peace. Peacemakers bring peace. We become like that referee. Like I said, when they put the jersey on, they know that's my role in this game. And I want to encourage you at the, at the risk of looking silly by preaching in a referee's uniform. I hope that you will leave here putting the jersey on, recognizing that, hey, blessed are the peacemakers. And when you're wearing the jersey, you know your role. And again, it doesn't mean that you can't have opinions. It doesn't mean it just means that, man, often there's a, a more important conversation going on that, that, that so much of us, we, we get stuck and we get caught up in the emotions of this fight or that, that fight that we forget that, man, God is actually at work and there's a greater goal. And that's to reconcile people to God and people to each other. How do we bring peace? 
Well, if you're involved in a, a conflict that you're directly involved in, I would just say, make the first move. Make the first move. And the first move is not to point out all the ways that they've hurt you. The first move is to just humbly acknowledge that, you know what, you've played a role in it too. I've never been a part of a fight where there wasn't two people involved or, or multiple sides of the story. And, and by, by saying that, you're not, you're not absolving them of what they did, you're not, but you're just saying, hey, you know what? I realize I've, I've created some of this. I've got a part to play in this. And I want to apologize for the part that I play. Can you imagine in a relationship that you're currently experiencing conflict, how that would set the tone for the conversation that would follow it? Just go, you know what? I'm going to go first. I'm going to acknowledge. I've blown it in some ways. And I'm sorry. So make the first move. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. <laughs> you know, that's straight out of the Bible, book of James. Well, what if it was possible you don't understand the situation as well as you think you do? What if there was a little bit more to the story and you just said, you know what, I'm gonna, I wanna listen a little bit. I wanna hear. I'm not gonna listen for the sake of rebutting. I'm gonna listen for the sake of understanding what's going on here. And then when you do speak, you'll have a lot more clarity for what the situation needs in it. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Be agreeable even when you disagree. Be agreeable. This is something that our culture has completely lost sight of, but we don't have to. We don't have to. We can be agreeable. And I was thinking about this and to help you understand what I'm saying, because I'm not saying compromise your values. I'm not saying appease other people. But a few years ago, we, we do an all-staff meeting about once a month. We bring in all of our staff, and we want to help them grow as leaders and help them grow in some skills. And, and this particular all-staff, we brought in two people who see the world very, very differently, but who both attended our church and who actually were really good friends. We had Senator Tim Scott. Uh, Tim is a longtime friend and seacoaster. He's a Republican United States senator. And his friend, Anton Gunn. Anton actually was a Democratic state legislator and attended our West Campus. He's since moved to Charlotte. But these two came into state politics at the same time, coming from very different perspectives. In fact, Anton worked with President Obama to write Obamacare. He was part of the Health and Human Services Department that wrote Obamacare. And at the time they spoke to us, Tim was actively trying to dismantle Obamacare. So they see the world very different, right? They have very different perspectives, but they're very good friends. And they sat on a platform and they talked about how do you disagree on really important issues? Nobody won the fight. It wasn't something where they want each other to, they acknowledge, hey, you see it differently. And I think you're wrong and you think I'm wrong. But you know what? There's a bigger story going on here because we're not just members of this country. We're members of the family of God. And I value the presence of God in you. And I value God's work in you. And I'm not going to label you or reduce you to the lowest common denominator of, of what I think about your political party. And it was amazing. Jack Hoy led a, a phenomenal conversation. It was like, wow, you mean you can disagree on important things and still experience genuine love for that person. That's what we saw. Be agreeable, even when you disagree. Would you agree the world needs more examples of that in our culture? I just think we need to, to lean into that. Don't forget the jersey that you're wearing. See, peacemakers, that they're agreeable. They refuse to pick sides. Refuse to pick sides. 
you may go, well, what if my side is right? Well, let me remind you of a story from Joshua chapter five, where Joshua, who is leading God's army into God's destined place for them, the promised land, and, and, and he's preparing to go take out Jericho, and all of a sudden, he's in the presence of somebody that he doesn't know who they are. And so he asks a question that most of us would ask. Are you with them? Or are you with us? Like, whose side are you on? And then he realizes he's actually in the presence of a commander of, of God's army of angels. And his answer is interesting. You think, well, he would say, I'm with you. No, he said, neither. I'm with the living God. I represent his perspective. Whose side are you on? What a great, like sobering reminder for Joshua. Okay. And he gets down on his knees and he realizes I'm standing on holy ground. In every conflict that you're involved in, there's three sides. There's your side, their side, and God's side. And sometimes, even though you may be right about the thing you're arguing about, you could completely miss where God is at work in that situation. That it actually was about a person and not about, you know, being right or wrong. So the challenge for us is to go, you know what, I, I'm not going to take sides. I'm going to go, God, where are you at work right now? I want to be on your side. Been involved in a lot of conflicts. I don't like getting involved in other people's conflicts, but you know what? Blessed are the peacemakers. And so there are times where I may be called to be a, a third party in an, an argument that I'd rather not be in. But, but if I am, my question is, all right, God, where are you at work here? Don't let me just be the person who agrees with this person when I'm with them and this person with them. No, that's a troublemaker. I was in one recently where I was mediating between two people who are godly people. And, and one, one per, all I said is, hey, this person that you're talking about, I've known them for years. They've never stirred up division in my life. I know them to have pure motives and a pure heart. And, and it just kind of helped this person see maybe I missed it on this person. Maybe I've labeled them in a way that I wasn't supposed to label them. So we don't take sides. And peacemakers remind everyone who the true enemy is. I don't know what conflict you're involved in, but here's what I know. The enemy is not your wife. The enemy is not your coworker. The enemy is not the person who sees things a little bit differently than you. We do have an enemy, but it's a principality. It's a spirit. It's not a person. Ephesians says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Stop calling the person that you're arguing with your enemy. They're not. The enemy would love to deceive you into thinking that's the case, but the enemy's already been defeated and his only hope is to get us to believe lies that aren't true and to get us to live in defeat when God has called us to a higher place. Blessed are the peacemakers. They, they know peace. They bring peace. And when we do that, we reflect peace. We reflect peace. I love the end of that verse. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You know, my guess is that for everybody in this room or most of us, if you were filling out a survey and it asked you to check off your religious preference, you would check it off as Christians. But that's not what he said here. It's not that you will call yourself a child of God. But when we live out these principles, when we seek to bring peace into whatever situation we're in, others are going to go, Wow, that, that person, that believer, they're a child of God. They reflected the values of God. I think about my own kids. You know, I've got a couple of them, three, I think. Um, 
Last I checked. But my son, Miles, when you walk, you watch him walk. He's got, he's got the Surratt swagger. I mean, you're going to know just by watching him walk. You watch him talk. He was an actor in a, a drama with a school this week. And man, he just, he can't help but like have that Surratt sarcasm in any line that he has. It just, it comes out. You look at him and he's not nearly as good looking as me, but he's got some of my <laughs> qualities and characteristics. And it's like, man, it's, it's, it's easy to see that he's my kid because he, he looks like me. He talks like me. He reflects me. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, when you look like me, when you reflect my values, when you bring my peace into difficult situations, people are going to not be able to mistake that you're a child of God and you look like Jesus. You reflect the values of the living God. And listen, I know that we live in a culture that is so divided on all kinds of different things. But what if things were different for us? What if we were a church that really took this to heart, that realized every time we walk into one of those conversations, whether it's about politics or masks or vaccines, I don't care what it's about. We go, you know what? I can have my opinion. That's great. But I also am called to a greater calling. I'm going to be a peacemaker. I want to be somebody who brings people together and doesn't further divide. If we did it, I think there'd be more stories about people going, you know what? Why did you come to this church? Well, because there was somebody who called themselves a Christ follower, seacoaster, and they stepped in and they actually brought peace when all I had experienced was anxiety, tension, drama. And, and they're going to go, we heard this. This is a place where people who reflect God go. This is a place where people who reflect Jesus hang out. That's my prayer for us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Would you pray with me? As we close, Father, I'm just asking, I'm believing my expectations are such, Lord, that you could use us in this way, God, that you could take each and every one of us and the workplace that we're in, the, the situations that we're involved in, that we could be a people who bring peace into a broken, hurting world that desperately needs it. Would you give us wisdom? to know how to be peacemakers in our world, in our lives. Lord, there are some of us that are here today and we're just not experiencing peace. You know, we're riddled with fear, anxiety, even when we think about our relationship with you. We don't know where we stand. And if that's you today, my prayer is that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can experience and know peace, not just a principle, but a person, Jesus who is the Prince of Peace, who died for your sin, who died so that you could live in freedom and who has already conquered death. He rose from the dead so that we can experience peace. And if you're here today and you haven't experienced that peace, it's so simple. Just acknowledging I am a sinful person, but while I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. I want to receive it. And you can just say that to him right now in whatever way feels natural to you. Lord, I want to receive your peace. I want to know you as the Prince of Peace. You know, there are others of us that we're experiencing conflict in a relationship or in our workplace, in our family, could be related to an ex, whatever it is. And my prayer for you today is that you would experience God's peace and that perhaps you are the solution to that conflict, that you would see yourself as a peacemaker, that God would equip you 
to bring his presence into those situations to bring peace. God, would you help us with this? Would you help us to be peacemakers that people would see us and go, that's what God looks like. We're asking it in Jesus' name, amen.